0: The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Well, if you have a Bible, let's open it to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. And um, so for those who are maybe new visiting, by the way, welcome. You know, family, friends, vacationers, people that have just moved in. Maybe to the community over the summer, you know, church looking for a home or whatever. Um, We are currently in a study through the Gospel of Matthew, and we've got kind of a little long section this morning, and I just want you to know that there's a reason why we go verse by verse through the Bible, Um, and because each thought… Uh, leads to the next thought, and every teaching leads to the next teaching, and every story flows into the next story. Uh, so, it's, a, it's… for those who aren't used to it, it's a little bit different, but I, I think that as you get into the flow of it, you just kind of relax and… Can, okay, because it's all God-breathed and God-inspired. There's a reason why everything flows together verse by verse. So, let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel, the good news. Uh, according to the author Matthew, who is divinely inspired and, and became really your instrument, your, the pen in your hand as you wrote the story of salvation and healing and forgiveness and literally the king of kings and the Lord of lords who came from heaven through the miraculous incarnation and then grew up to show us the way, the truth, and the life, and to reveal by your actions and your words the heart of God the Father. Oh, how we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you Father, for the miracles and the salvations and churches and young people that are exploding just south of the border and how we're connected with them. We have a history together, bi-generational. We just thank you. May it continue to go, Lord, from glory to glory. Thank you for your word coming alive to us for such a time as this. May we hear what the Spirit would say to our hearts in Jesus' mighty and wonderful name. And everyone said, Amen. Okay, so I've got quite a few little life lessons, so that'll help you know where we are in the study, and these are kind of what I call the application points that we're going to try to uh, pull, what I feel that we can learn as we go through these stories and teachings. Now, the week before, um, last week, for those who weren't here, Jesus has just done a deliverance of a demonic spirit. The, re- the religious leaders who are there are now kind of focusing, their- they're opposed to Jesus for a variety of reasons, mostly because of their hard hearts. But they, it, it, the, the deliverance is so radical. And by the way, if you have never experienced the supernatural, I'm telling you, I have— uh, and especially as you are, are open to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and as you begin growing in the Lord more and more, your eyes will be uh, uncovered to see there's a lot going on in the spiritual arena, man, especially right now with what's going on in the world. Can I hear an amen anybody, anybody noticing what's going on? So um, they can't deny the supernatural. They can't deny it's so obvious and so powerful that the guy gets delivered of this demon manifestation. So the only thing they can accuse Jesus of is you cast out devils because you're the, from the prince of Satan. Wow. And Jesus, verse 25, we'll start there and, and we'll get into the flow of it. But Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew what they were thinking. And he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan is casting out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, which is the prince of the demonic realm, another metaphor for Satan, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But… If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. So that's what Jesus… That's why I left heaven. He came to the earth because the devil stole my father's beloved creation, Adam and Eve, and he's demonized them, and I have come to deliver them. And literally from house to house, from person to person, just as he had just delivered this man. And then at verse 30, he says, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. So your first life lesson, there is no neutral ground. We must all decide who is Jesus of Nazareth. That is the question of the ages. It is a question which every man, every woman, and every boy, and every girl must answer during their earthly life. God so loved the world, He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus, into this world. The whole story of Him, not only the miracles to show us the heart of the Father, but to die and to pay for our sins, be buried, and then as, as was prophesied and personally predicted by Jesus, on the third day He rose from the dead. Whew. He rose, I mean, the power of the resurrection means he defeated not only death, he defeated sickness and disease, he defeated the devil, he defeated anything of darkness that could latch on to human beings. He broke the curse from all the way back in the Garden of Eden. And he brings us now into unity and fellowship and reconciliation with our Father God and with the Son Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. So now, Jesus here, and this is true for everybody, not just people that go to church and hear, you know, Pastor Ray or Bible studies in some church somewhere. But for everybody, the three million people in San Diego City and County Jesus removes all illusion about trying to remain neutral about who you believe Jesus of Nazareth is, his identity and his ministry. And this is what Jesus said, if you're not for me, if you don't love me and follow me and believe in me that I am who I claim to be and that I have the power that I claim to have, he says, there's no middle ground. If you're not with me and for me, you are working against me. Now think about that. That, I mean, because there are a lot of people that think, well, I'm not against Jesus. I would never be against him, but I'm not exactly, you know, like born again or saved or go to church or whatever. And they, they kind of think they're in some, you know, noble, neutral place. Jesus says, if you're not with me and for me, you're working against me. If you're not gathering, drawing your family, your friends, your loved ones, you need Jesus and let me tell you about him, then you are scattering within your own marriage, within your own children, within your own generation. And so, uh, only two forces are at work in the world, the gathering and the scattering. Whoever does the one is fighting the other. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to be fighting against Jesus Christ? I think that's going to work out? I don't believe so. Well, let's go on to the next couple of verses, 31 and 32. And I want to give you this life lesson… Um, Because Jesus goes from that conversation into a new conversation, Um, and if you've never heard this before, uh, there's a sin that the Bible talks about, there's only one, that is absolutely unforgivable for all time and all uh, purposes. And so we want to be sure to avoid the one unforgivable, unpardonable sin with eternal consequences. It's called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So in verse 31, Jesus says, Therefore, I say to you, every sin and every blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit it will not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. Wow, that's pretty heavy. Um, Jesus is passionately warning, I believe, the, in the context. These religious leaders who are saying, you're, you're casting out demons by Satan. Jesus goes, stop talking. Stop letting words come out of your mouth. You are standing on eternally dangerous ground. For their rejection is not just, you know, because people maybe they're on the way to coming to the Lord, Uh, they think this or that, and they're wondering about Jesus or God. And Jesus says, Look, that can be all forgiven. My father sins against even me. He goes, But if you reject the Holy Spirit's witness, he goes, It's unforgivable, not only now, but for all time and eternity. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit's ministry is to point to Jesus and say, He is the Savior. He is the anointed one. He is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. The Holy Spirit testifies, essentially, to every human being that Jesus is who He claimed to be, the Savior of the world, that He has the power He claimed to have. He rose from the dead, and He is alive forevermore, and that you need Him. Therefore, there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I mean, it really narrows it down. So, the Holy Spirit, you know, witnesses to us that. Now, there are some times that, you know, people will get worried and they, you know, because we've all, man, we've, we're all sinners. How many would agree you're a sinner? If you're breathing and you've got a pulse, you're, you're a sinner. We've all blown it royally. We've said things, done things. Oh, my gosh. We wish we'd never said or done. And sometimes the enemy will come to a believer and, and you do something really, you know, egregious and the enemy will come and say, you, you just committed the unforgivable sin. You, you did it, man. It's over for you. And I've had people over the years come to me and say, oh, Pastor Ray, I can't believe I, you know, I was backslidden. I was in rebellion. I did this. I did that. And I feel like I can't be ever forgiven again. I've, I think I've committed the unforgivable sin. And I always I want to you know, minister in comfort to them and say, no, no, you haven't. The very fact that you even care. Uh, and have a concern and are convicted in, in some way is proof that you haven't committed that. They go, well, what do you mean? I said, if you had committed the unforgivable sin, you would reject and refuse Jesus Christ all the way until your last dying breath and last dying heartbeat, I don't want anything to do with Him. And they're like, oh, really, I haven't? No, you haven't committed the unforgivable sin. Essentially, what I want to describe to you is this. The, the, you know, because why did Jesus die? He died to pay for our sins. Murder, immorality, uh, selfishness, greed, lust, fear, You know, all the things of, of humanity. That's why he died. But there's one thing that cannot be forgiven because Jesus died for all of our sins, but you have to personally receive him into your heart and trust in Him as your Savior to forgive you of your sins. But if you keep Him out here, out of your life, out of your heart, you don't let His blood come and wash and cleanse you and forgive you and fill you with Spirit and give you eternal life, and you keep Him out here, and then you die. That's unforgivable. If you die without Jesus in you, trusting in Him as your Savior, and then your last heartbreak, your last breath, Look, there are millions of chances to be saved before you die. There are zero chances of being saved if you wait till you die and then think, well, then I'll, I'll do it on the way up. No, you, there's no on the way up to it. It's too late. Did you know that that is why the Bible says today, if you hear his voice, call on the name of the Lord and be saved now, don't wait, don't put it off. Because that's what the enemy, just a little late, no, do it, don't do it now, you're young. Man, have some, you know, sow your wild oats, have some fun, do it later. But look, that's the enemy. He lies, he deceives. There's no fun to be had on your way to getting delivered and saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. So, so basically, uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 tells us, you know, that the deadline is literally when you're dead. It is appointed unto man once to die. And then we go before God and we face the judgment. So the, the encouragement is, before you die, surrender your heart and your life. Receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Know that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus died for every other sin. But if you don't accept Jesus, there's nothing, you know, there's no salvation for that. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's go on uh, to verses 33 through 37. And here is the the life lesson that will make sense once we read the verses, but uh, if God is going to judge our small talk, how much more will he judge our deliberate words? So this gets back to what these, you know, religious leaders have been saying about Jesus, you're doing it by Satan, and Jesus goes, whoa, stop talking, stop saying stuff, you are literally on danger. You're you're on a cliff that has a bottomless pit of eternal falling from what you are saying. And so, here's how uh, Jesus describes it. Beginning in verse 33, He says, now either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Now, He's talking about the fruit is your words, They've just said that you're casting out devil by the devil. And he goes, whoa, be careful. Your words are revealing your heart. Did you know that our words reveal our character? What you say shows who you are. That's very sobering. Then in verse 34, he calls them brood of vipers. Exclamation point. Jesus raised his voice. He's speaking very directly, very bluntly. They're accusing him of casting out Satan because he's with Satan the prince of Satan. Jesus turns around and says, no, you are the ones in danger. You are the ones who are the sons of Satan. You are a brood of vipers and snakes. You are lying, and you are in danger of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Wow. Wow. As you listen to people's conversations, that when their words literally reveal their hearts. Out of the abundance of the heart, so someone speaks, and sometimes people don't realize what they're saying. And men foul things, bitter things, angry things, demonic things, uh, dark things—you know—flying out of their mouth, curses that come out of their mouth. Whew, be careful out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. In other words, when you have someone that that just sweet words come out of their mouth and loving words and gracious words and gentle words and kind words and peaceful words and joyful words, it shows that they have a good heart. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. It's like literally, like a brood of vipers, it's poisonous what comes out of their mouth. But then in verse 36, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it on the day of judgment, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And wow, that is pretty sobering. The bad fruit of their words… Their condemning Jesus reveals the bad root growing in their hearts. And if they get their hearts right, then their words about Jesus would also be right. Brood of vipers. So again, if you have a pen or pencil, underline verse 36. We are apparently going to be held accountable for every idle word we have ever said. It is by our conversation in unguarded moments that we reveal our true character. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about every word I've ever said in my whole life, and then one day giving an account for it, I get a little nervous. Anybody with me on that? Every idle word. Man, we live in a time where these little rascals right here, and everybody, you know, now papers are shrinking Because basically, this has become, you know, the paper, and everybody is, you know, everybody's the expert on everything, right? They're giving their their attitude, their opinion, and there's writing, and they're just, hey, you realize, and then people are like, oh, no, maybe they get caught with something, and then they go, but I deleted it. And they go, well, you know, that delete thing, it doesn't really work. Everything is all, it's all there, right? Well, if this is true in this world, how much more is it true up in heaven? the angels look at every little thing, every little idol where you say, and the angels are going, oh, wow, you really said that? Really? Wow. Very nervous. So I have a word, you know, this is, I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to me and to all of us. I think we talk too much. We say too much. We give our opinion too much. Uh, and, and I want to just say lovingly from the Lord as your shepherd, Zip it. We need we need that little emoji with the zipper on the. You know, there's nothing wrong with thinking something and saying, you know, but I'm not going to say it. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to wait. Too many, you know, of our words because, you know, oh my gosh, in the spirit from the time that you were born, the words that have been spoken over your life. And look, we all have. We live in a fallen world, a broken world, a sinful world. We have sinful parents. And it's like every cussing, cursing, dark, negative, sometimes demonically energized curse, whatever that has been thrown at you and on you is like a dark black veil uh, that, that, that needs healing. And that's why the Word of God is so beautiful and precious. It's like clean, pure living water that literally washes and removes all of the darkness, all of the curses, all of that ugly, negative stuff that has been spoken over you. Can I hear an amen on that? It's like pure rivers of living water. But guess what? You and I are to be now in the flow of the Spirit Our words can now, instead of maybe in the past, we too were negative and, you know, hurt people hurt people. So they cuss at you and curse you, and you cuss and curse them back. And so, okay, we're out of that game now. Now, I don't return evil for evil, but now I speak life, I speak love, I speak blessing, I speak peace, I speak love, I speak joy, I speak spirit, I speak truth and the power of the truth. And, the, and it's like light coming from your mouth. You and I, well, I have this scripture here, and I want you to read it with me. Proverbs eighteen 21. I'm sure this will come up again uh, in the near future, but it's a powerful one. If you've never heard this or seen it or read it, underline it, highlight it, uh, mark it in your Bible. Let's read it out loud together. The tongue has the power of life and death And those who love it will eat its fruit. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago we live in a voice-activated universe. God created the universe speaking. Light be, and light was. And then, so in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the living Word of God. So he became the living healer, the living lover, the living uh, joy of the Lord and the peace of God. Now we're we're to take all of that in. You become, you and I are now his body. He's the head. But we are his body on the earth. That means that Jesus wants to use you to out of your mouth, to your beloved spouse, your beloved Family, your children, your friends, your environment, your community, your place of work or school or whatever, that life comes through your mouth. Stop saying all the other negative and bad stuff, and then learn to let your, your words be love. You can speak life and speak blessing that will bring people healing and deliverance and the presence of God and the joy of the Lord as their strength. Hallelujah. We need more of that. And especially now as these crazy little guys are magnifying all that negative nonsense, how much more we need those who speak words of love, words of light, words that are filled with the Spirit. And Jesus was warning these religious leaders, because it's by our words regarding this work of the Spirit that we will either be acquitted or condemned. Here is Here's what can be recorded, that when you pray and humble yourself and confess your sins and ask Jesus into your life as your personal Lord and Savior, that was recorded. Every prayer of salvation you know is recorded in heaven. And man, don't you want to hear your own voice when we come and stand before God and they go, play the tape, you know? And there's the tape of you saying, Lord, I humble myself. I confess I am a sinner. I open the door of my heart. I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Give me the gift of eternal life. And it's like, woo man, you are in because you have prayed, it was recorded, and by that you are acquitted or you are condemned. All right, let's go on to the next few verses, uh, 38 through 42. The ultimate sign Jesus is the Messiah will be, of all the, you know, sermons he gave, of all the miracles he performed, the ultimate sign that Jesus is the guy, he is the Savior, he is the King of all kings, Lord of all lords, Messiah means the anointed one, the prophesied one, the predicted one, will be His resurrection from the dead on the third day. So beginning of verse 38, it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, and they saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He's already done thousands of signs. We want to see a sign from you. But he answered and he said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation, and they'll condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and by the way, became a believer in the God of Solomon, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the promised Messiah. And indeed, Jesus says, a greater than Solomon is here. So these religious leaders are like, okay, we need another sign. And the question I have to ask is, had not Jesus shown them signs enough? What were all the, they were surrounded by miracles. You know, they were following him around, trying to trap him, and he was doing miracle after miracle after miracle. They go, so what they were really saying is, we want another sign. We want a sign that will really prove above everything else that you're who you claim to be. And Jesus said, okay, you get one, and it will only take one. He goes, because according to the prophecies and the plan, Jesus already knew what they were thinking, what they were plotting, and what would happen. He knew he would go to Jerusalem, finally. He knew that he would be rejected. He knew that he would be crucified. He knew that he would be buried. And he also knew, and on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. And I, when I rise from the dead, it proves that everything that I claim to be is true, and the power I claim to have is real. So, you know, he is condemning their seeking after another pointless sign. He's basically talking about his own resurrection. And he uses the, the story of Jonah. I want to just say this real quick, um, because they're… the sinfulness of their hearts… You know, if you were there in that day and listening to them and this battle between Jesus and these religious leaders, you might say, well, but those are holy guys. I mean, they're priests and um, they're religious. And so, you know, how do we see all of this? Man's sinfulness and lostness are not always immediately apparent. It is possible to be outwardly moral, religious even. And, you know, there's a kindness, a, a decency about you. Uh, you profess to believe in God and yet to be totally lost spiritually. The truth is that a person's sinfulness will be most manifest by how a person responds to the Lord Jesus Christ. The person who rejects Jesus and His claims and His power, the Bible says he is dead spiritually and worse than that, an enemy of God, no matter how religious or moral, they may appear. So, Jesus says you get one more sign, it's the sign of Jonah. So, the story of Jonah is basically the story of a guy who, who dies, he gets thrown overboard and down into this uh, belly of a great fish, and then gets resurrected on the third day. That's basically what that story is about. Now, Jonah preached for 40 days. Jesus Christ preached to these for three years— Jonah preached with no miracles, yet Jesus performed miracles virtually every day in every place that he went, and yet they would not repent. So, Jonah becomes really a picture of Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't know the story of Jonah, basically God comes to his, his guy, his servant, uh, his Hebrew prophet Jonah, he goes, look, Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh. They are so vile and so wicked and so demonically energized, I got to judge them. But I love them, and I don't really want to wipe them out, but they need to be warned, so I want you to go tell them. And Jonah's like, mm-mm. <laughs> no, 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 no. Why? Because deep in Jonah's heart, he resented the Ninevites. He couldn't stand them. He was so angry at them. They were so wicked and so vile, but he, he absolutely hated them. And he was afraid, if I go and preach to them, what if they repent? Then God won't smoke them and wipe them out, so I'm not going to give them the chance. So Nineveh is this way. God tells him, "Go preach to them. Go warn them. Judgment's coming. If they repent, then I'll I will stay my hand." And Jonah gets in a boat and goes the opposite direction, as far and fast as he can. The big storm comes, and the sailors you know sailors are kind of superstitious anyway, and so they're like, "Man, something. We got something." <laughs> fishy on our boat. Uh, we got something weird going on here. What is it? And then finally they come to this guy and Jonah raises his hand. Eh, it's me. They go, what are you, what, what's up with you? And he goes, eh, I'm a prophet of the creator of the universe. I'm supposed to go to preach to these people. God might forgive him. I don't want him to. So basically, uh, throw me overboard and everything will be fine. Have you ever found that to be odd? Why not say, turn the ship around, go back to port, dump me off, and then you'll be fine. He says, throw me overboard. What he's basically saying is, I'd rather drown than go do what God asked me to do. So they throw him overboard, everything calm and peaceful. Bye, Jonah. And then a great fish swallows him up and takes him down. And, And in the book of Jonah, he's like, okay, cool. I get to die. I'll go stand before God, but at least I didn't have to preach to those Ninevites. But he's down there, and he's still alive, and he's still conscious. He goes, man, I'm in the... This is like hell. It's really warm in here. <laughs> and he wants to die, but he doesn't die. And so for three days, three nights, and then finally the fish gets, God causes him to get it sick to its stomach. It comes up near the shore, and it, and it basically throws up Jonah on the shore. That's what happens. And there, there he is, and as soon as he lands on the beach, there's a little sign that says Nineveh right this way. He brought him right where he was supposed to go. And then, because he's been in the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights, he's, you know, all the stomach acid, or the, you know, have, have bleached. He doesn't have one hair or one eyebrow on his body. He looks like a dead man. He looks like a man that is from the dead, but he's alive. And now he sees this stupid sign for Nineveh. I'm paraphrasing. And so he goes, stomping. I'll preach to them. I'm going to give them the, you know, I'm going to give them the fieriest man. God's going to smoke you guys and burn you guys. You're going to hell. And then they all, go, oh no, God have mercy! And then God forgives him. And goes, now I'm not going to judge him. And Jonah goes, I knew it. You're so lovey-dovey, you know, forgive everybody. <laughs> and he gets he gets depressed. And God says, Why are you so depressed? You know, but the whole point of this story is on the third. He's like a dead man. It, they they literally thought this is a man from the dead coming to tell us eternal judgment is coming upon you on the third day. And they all repented. And what Jesus is saying is Jonah preached. And a whole city of Gentiles repented and got saved. But you have had the Messiah, Son of God, and you're Jewish, and yet you won't repent. Then he tells a story of the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, goes from the ends of the earth and listens and believes and becomes a follower of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She also was a Gentile. So he tells two stories about Gentiles who repented. And he says, but a greater than Jonah is here and a greater then Solomon is here. In other words, the greater light you've had hold you so accountable, can you imagine uh, what the day of judgment will be like for them? So let's go on to the next verse. Verses: 43 through45. And I title this, "Make sure you keep your house clean." Very interesting. And again, I think this message in particular shows why we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter story by story and thought by thought. Because now in this context, Jesus starts to give this message about what happens when an unclean spirit is kicked out of a house, but it never gets filled with something, and then it comes back, and the end is worse than it was at the beginning. Look at this in verse 43. When an unclean spirit, a demon, goes out of a man or a woman... He goes through dry places seeking rest, but he can't find any. And then he says, I will return to my house, a person, from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. So that could be, me. you know, moral. They, they, they were an alcoholic. Now they don't do alcohol. They were drug addict. They got all cleaned up. But it's clean, but it's not filled. Then he goes and takes with him seven other demons, spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first, so shall it also be with this wicked generation. I believe Jesus is here warning that their rejection and opposition to him nationally for Israel would leave them, Israel, in worse shape than they were in now because at that time, Israel was already under the boot of the Roman Empire. But they were allowed to live and have their little nation, but they were under Rome. But Jesus says, but now God has sent the Messiah to you, and if you reject me here and now, it will be seven times worse for you. And sure enough, 40 years later, Rome came, there was a rebellion, the Jews tried to overthrow Rome, and Rome just said, are you kidding me? And they went, and they destroyed Israel, and they destroyed Jerusalem, and they literally, as Jesus had prophesied, tore down the temple. The Roman army took every last stone of the temple that was there in the days of Jesus, and they threw it over the canyon and crashed below. And to this day, you can see the broken, huge stones that were once the temple there, They lost their nation of Israel. They lost it for almost 2,000 years. Their last state was worse than their former state. And Jesus is saying the same thing. It doesn't do you any good as a nation to get everything cleaned up, morally or whatever, if you don't accept the Messiah, you're filled with the Spirit. So also with a person. Um, A demon can only inhabit someone if he finds the house, the heart, empty. That is a heart that is without the indwelling presence of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. doesn't matter how you clean it, or you you, you can get as moral as you want, I don't do this anymore, I don't do that anymore. You can clean it, but if you don't fill it, then a demon can come back. And the devil has no opposition or objection to a house clean. For a moralist or a good person can just as easily be used and manipulated uh, by demons as someone who is in all kinds of bad habits. So long as the heart is not occupied by the demon's great foe, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, he can use that man or that woman for his own purposes. So Jesus was warning the religious leaders, he's warning that generation, but it's a warning to every man and woman, doesn't matter how much you clean up your life, if you're not filled with the Savior, that's the only thing that can protect you from the darkness and the demonically energized spirits that are in the world. So in closing, this is our last life lesson. Verses 46 through 50 again, we go from one story to the next. Each one builds on the one previous. Now we get to Jesus' family. Verse 46, because when, a, when family tries to appeal to us not to be so controversial… So with all this stuff going on, Jesus has family, and they're, they're realizing, they're feeling the opposition against their brother, and they're, they're, they're going to go try to save Jesus. Listen to this. Verse 46, while he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside seeking to speak with him. And then one said to him, look, your mom and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered, and he said to the one who told him this, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. We believe that what was happening right now… By the way, Jesus' family, his mom believed in him. She's, you know, the only one that believed in him. She knew from the beginning. And Joseph, his dad, but Joseph died apparently when Jesus was young. According to the scriptures and the four gospels, none of his brothers believed in him until after he had ascended and risen from the dead. So now they're like, wow, okay, our brother is different and he's special and he does all miracle stuff, but he's also kind of dangerous. He's very controversial. They could feel the nation and the leadership and they, they felt, wow, this is bad. We need to go save our brother. And they're basically wanting to say, hey, could you not be so controversial? Because it affects us. We're your brothers. (laughs) And they're trying to calm him down. Uh, And basically, Jesus says, my mother and my brothers and my sisters are those who do the will of my Father. They would become believers later, but I just want to mention this. There will come… when you get serious about your devotion to loving and following Jesus, and you, you start being enthusiastic, and it, it will show in your life, and your attitudes, your words. And then your family will come to you. Look, they don't mind a little bit of religion, but man, you get, you're, you're, if you get a little controversial, a little too zealous, they're going to come and say, could you stop being like that? What they're basically saying is, stop being consumed and filled and overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And that's where you have to draw a line and say, you know, it's not, it's not like that. See, uh, I, I am in love And I want you to be in love with the same Lord and Savior that I have. Amen? That's why Paul said, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Um, You cannot get too close to Jesus. You cannot be too filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't be too in love with God. Um, Man, press in. Don't let anybody discourage you or hold you back. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. So we've read it, and not only those here this morning have heard it, but those who are listening on the radio, online, whatever, that Jesus said it, Jesus spoke it, he taught it, he lived it, he let it be explained. Now we're all accountable for what you do now that you know. And so, look, nobody can, will be able to stand before God and say, well, nobody told me, or I didn't know, or, man, if I'd known… No, now you know, and you're held accountable. And you, you, nobody, you can't blame, well, my mom did this, or my dad did that, or my… Bro-. You can't… There's nobody else to blame. You know, one day… You're accountable for what you do. You only get one life. And you've, you've only got one heart. And so, make the right choices. Make sure you have a guard at your mouth. Be careful what you say. And if, you're, if your mouth is spilling over with evil, this, this should be a good wake-up call to say, Lord, forgive me. Have mercy upon me. I need you. Help me be filled with Your Spirit, that I might reflect Your Word, Your love, and Your light. Father, I thank You uh, for Your ministry. I thank You for the Word. I want to say thank You for all those who are here today, you know, in the heart of the summer and August, and man, they're in the house of the Lord and hearing Your Word, and I just pray the Word would go deep, that we would not only hear it, but it would go below the surface and touch our hearts And it would literally have an impact on how we live and what we uh, believe uh, and what we do with our lives. May you be glorified. May we truly be delivered from all of the lies and the attacks and the accusations of the enemy. And may your word be planted deep within our hearts and bear fruit, the fruit of the spirit of love and joy and peace. And may you be glorified in a mighty way in our day, in our generation. And let us never be ashamed or afraid of being passionate about our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. In his wonderful, glorious name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.